Good morning, it's good to see you. You look a whole lot different from down there here than you did from up there, so it's good to be kind of on, on level. Uh, have you ever met someone that was absolutely and totally confident? You ever been around someone who everything they did, they had this assurance about themselves? Now, you're probably prone to walk away thinking, that's the most arrogant person I've ever met in my life. Or, or that person is just, you know, kind of an outright jerk. They're just so absolutely and totally confident. But there's something about being sure, right? You kind of like to be sure. Anybody like to go to the grocery store and get all completely rung up for your groceries to not be sure if that card's going to actually swipe or if the cashier is going to look at you funny and say, sorry, your card was declined. You like to have the confidence, right? SunTrust has this entire, this entire ad campaign built on financial confidence. We like to have confidence, fellas. You wanted to be confident the first time you talked to that girl, right? You wanted to walk up to her and you wanted to be able to say to her, Hi, my name is and I would like to ask you out for this Friday night. I know y'all text now, so you, you have time to build the confidence through text messages or whatever. But, but yeah, you, you want to have that confidence. You don't want to be like, so you probably don't like guys like me, but. You know, I, I know you, you probably have plans, but I'll just talk to you later. You, you don't want to do that, right? You want to be able to go up there and say, I am the man you've been looking for. You found me. Confidence. We all like to have confidence. What if you put confidence in the wrong thing? You ever watch Looney Tunes, Wile E. Coyote? Always confident he was going to catch the roadrunner. Always putting his confidence in the wrong thing. This morning I want to share with you a little bit about confidence and how you can have confidence before almighty God that you are his comes in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, there is one there in the pew in front of you. You can have it. It is my gift. It is our church's gift to you. We want you to be able to read the Word of God whenever. It's, it's, it's the black book. It's not the hymnal. If you want to go home and sing, take a hymnal. That's fine. Um, but we're going to be looking in, in, in the Bible. Um, if you have a phone or a tablet, you can use a mobile device to, to pull up uh, and have your, uh, have your um, scripture there in front of you. Personally, I like books, but I don't care how you read the Bible as long as you're reading the Word of God. That's the most important thing. So we're looking at First, uh, first John chapter 3. Uh, and if you have your place, I'd like to invite you. I know I haven't done this the last few weeks. But I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we are standing in the presence of God Almighty reading his word together. Starting in verse 19, this is the word of God. We will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our heart before him, before God. And whatever our heart condemns us. Because God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And in whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep 
his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the son of his excuse me the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he abides in him. We know this that he abides in us because of the spirit whom he has given to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're standing in a sanctuary in a congregation of men and women, young men, young women, older men, older women. We're standing here, Lord, as a mix of many different cultures, many different nations, many different languages, Lord. We're standing here in a place where we watched two generations profess their faith publicly in Christ Jesus in baptism, Lord. We're standing here in a congregation because we know that you are God, but Lord, we also know that this world will try to deceive us. Give us ears to hear your word today. Give us wisdom to know your truth so that when we march out of this room into the world around us, we're going boldly with the confidence of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Confidence. Confidence. Let Let me tell you, very ironically, as I'm preaching on confidence this morning, I struggled with my outline this week. Man, I struggle. Some, some weeks I look at the passage of Scripture, I'm like, okay, uh, Lord, I need, I need every, every week, Lord, I need your direction. What would you have me to say and to teach? What is your word saying? But some weeks, it's almost like he hands it to me immediately. And some weeks you're just kind of stumbling around and trying to figure. I told Christy Thursday morning, it was Thursday, I think. Thursday afternoon, it was after lunch. I said, Christy, I've got like six outlines, six ways I want to approach this passage of scripture. I have no idea what I'm going to do on Sunday morning. Sometimes that confidence eludes us. We try so hard. We want to work so hard and we're stepping every way we can. And to be real with you, life in Christ is sometimes difficult. It's difficult. And, and, and even more so when you get into conversations with people that don't believe the way that we believe or have some, some uh, completely different belief, not just that they believe in Christ, but they kind of approach it in, a, in an odd or different manner so as we would look at it. But they have something completely, you know, you go to somebody, hey, let me just ask you if you know anything about Jesus. I don't believe in God at all. Okay. How many of you get that? And you're just like, it makes you stop and stagger and think, okay. I've got to regroup because I thought I was going to start the common ground of we have this Jesus, so let's talk about him for a minute. And wow, whoa. There's so many things that shake our confidence. And, and John understands this. And John writes to his people, and as we've been walking through the book of 1 John, we've been looking at how we know truth, how we live in truth, and how we identify as followers of the true and living God. And last week, we started the whole idea of how we love one another, because God himself is love and has revealed himself to us in love. And now it seems like he gives this this little bit of a a shock to the system, this this whiplash. And he says there in verse 19, we will know this, uh, that we are of the truth, and we will assure our hearts heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us that's such a seemingly odd phrase to include in a letter that is supposed to encourage but John understands something very real and this is where you know if, if you've ever had this thought 
I, I don't know all of your backgrounds. I don't know your faith journey. I understand and I believe in a congregation like this and a room this size and in a place like the outskirts of Metro Atlanta. We're gonna have a bunch of different ideas and thought processes and everything. And so you might be sitting there struggling with the idea of how does the word of God, how does something written 2,000 years ago plus, what has it got to do with me? How is it relevant to my life? Verse 19 tells us exactly. He says, we will know this, that we're of the truth and we'll assure our heart whenever before him and whatever our heart condemns us. Why? Because your heart is a battleground. There is a war that is waging within you. Your heart is a battleground. It is, it is the prime real estate. It is the most optimal position of a war. If you're going to fight a battle, the best place to have is the top of the hill. Because if you have the top of the hill, your enemy has to fight uphill towards you. This is why Gettysburg in the Civil War was such a pivotal, uh, pivotal move for the, uh, for the northern armies. Because the northern armies were able to capture the top of the hill. And the southern armies were trying to fight uphill and they couldn't do it. This is why the Battle of Charleston was won by, by the Union Army. Because the, uh, excuse me, by the Battle of Charleston was actually won by the Confederate Army because the Union Army was trying to fight uphill into a fort. You can't fight uphill very well. And your heart is the top of the hill. It is the prime location. It is the place where every swirling idea and ideology and God and false God is trying to get. It wants your heart. Not because it's interested in pumping blood, because it wants the core of who you are. And, and, and right now, right now, there is a war that is waging all around you. Notice the words that John uses. He says, we will have this assurance before him in whatever our heart condemns us. Man, John gets where you are. John gets where I am. Self-doubt, this idea, man, you don't measure up, this idea of, man, you did it wrong, this idea of you're, you're, you're not going to get there or it doesn't matter. All of these things that try to filter in to the battleground of your heart. Maybe you can resonate with Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul over in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, he said this. He said, we know that the law is spiritual, but we are of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, because I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one who is doing it, but it is the sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, of my flesh, of myself, for the willing is present within me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. And I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that still dwells within me. So I find then that the principle of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. You been there? You've been there. Why do you keep messing up? Why do I continue to, to circle back to this same sin, this same pattern, this same habit? Why do I continue to, to loathe this evil that well, that's welling up within me? It's because there is a battle going on in your heart. 
It's because there is a war that is raging around you and you're sitting there in the middle of it. And what the enemy, what Satan wants you to think is it's about you and not about what Christ is doing in you. What the enemy wants you to see is that the way of the world is circling around. And so it's going to breathe lies and it's going to cause you to look around this way rather than looking up to the throne of glory. The one who has sealed your heart. That's the beautiful thing about your heart being a battleground. Is if you're in Christ Jesus, your heart's already been won. The battle has already been sealed. So you might be battling on the flesh side, on, on the outward side. You might be battle, battling depression. You might be battling disease. You might be battling self-worth. You might be battling a physical affliction. You might be battling a psychological affliction. You might be battling a disease. You might be battling relationship issues that are all trying to wage war on your heart to cause you to look away from who God is. And that's where your heart will try to deceive you. Don't forget, it's Old Testament prophecy that tells us that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Hmm. Your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. So the battle for your heart is not always negative. Sometimes the battleground of your heart is pushing you towards a greater self-positivity than you need. For example, I can make my own rules. I can live life my way. I deserve this. I have earned this. I have accomplished this. This is me. We call that pride. And the greatest battle in your heart is a battle not for what you did wrong, but for helping you see that you didn't do everything right. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Some of you might remember him. Um, uh, we'll, call it, we'll call him Nebi just for short because Nebuchadnezzar is really hard to say. We'll call him Nebi. Remember King Nebi of the Babylonians? Man, he came in and he conquered Israel. He was, God's, uh, he was God's agent of defeat in Israel to send them into exile into Babylon. And there's one night in, in Daniel chapter five where King Nebi's walking around on his rooftop. And he looks over all of his kingdom and he says, I am the man. Look at how awesome I am. You see that? I did it. You see that? I did it. Over there. That reflects my glory and my beauty because I am awesome. And God says to him, you fool, this tonight is all going to be taken away from you. And within hours, his kingdom was ransacked and he was driven out by his own son. He was driven out where he was made to live like a beast of the field. And the Bible says it's not until he had long hair and long nails and was clawing for, clawing for bugs and nasty stuff, kind of like Timon and Pumbaa on the Lion King, scavenging the lamb for whatever he could find, that he says, you know what, I have foolishly exalted myself above God. See, the battle for your heart might not make you feel bad about yourself. It might make you think that you are it in a bag of potato chips. And you're not. You're not a bad person, but you're not a savior. See, the battleground for your heart helps us remember that there is a Savior who died to save us. And look at what he says there in verse 20. In whatever your heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I want you to see this. I want you to see this very, very carefully. We will know we are of the truth even when the battle is raging. Why? Because God is greater. Why is God greater? 
Because God has won the battle for your heart. Your heart has been won. Your heart, if you are in Christ Jesus, has been won. So the war circles around and it tries to distract you and it tries to pull you away. But keep in mind, there's already victory out there. Aren't you a little bit more confident when you know you could win? Right? You're a little more confident. So let's just say that I'm walking down the street of Fairburn out here. I'm walking down Broad Street. I'm, I'm going to go over. Well, it's Sunday. I can't go there today. Tomorrow, I'm going to walk over here. I'm going to walk to lunch at Armando's. I'm going to get some tacos because I like tacos. So I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go to Armando's and get tacos. And as I'm walking down uh, across there, this guy that looks like he could crush Hulk Hogan walks up to me and says, I need all your money or I'm going to snap your head. First, I'm going to say, silver or gold, have I none? <laughs> But what I do have, I give to you the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if one of the kids off my son's baseball team comes up to me and says, give me all your money or I'm going to snap your head, I'm going to elbow him in the throat. Not to be mean, but to remind him, I could take you down, boy. You're a little more confident when you've got assurance of victory, right? then why don't you live that way as a Christian? Why do we continually live in defeat? Yeah, I know there's a battle. I know there's a war. I know something is raging around you, but you have a sure victor in Christ. It says here, don't worry about the condemnation of your heart because God the just, God the justifier, God the author and finisher of your salvation knows all things. He's bigger than that condemnation. He's holding the trophy. He's the one having the championship parade. He's the one casting the spoils of battle left and right because he has won your heart when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe it's not so much whether or not God is the victor or it's as it is a matter of have you given him your heart? Have you trusted that he alone could save you? And, and when I say he could save you, there is sometimes a physical component to that. There are opportunities in your life where God miraculously reaches into your condition and he provides physically, he provides financially, he provides health. Man, we've seen it. The Bible's full of it. Our history is full of it. It can't be explained of anything other than God himself. When Christy and I had been married for almost two full months, almost two full months, she started getting this tremendous pain right here in her side. If it was in her neck, I'd have known it was me, but it was right here in her side. And we didn't have insurance. We'd applied for it, but you know, we were going through underwriting and we haven't gotten all this provision. Uh, she was working part-time as a... Um, I, um, as a working with children with special needs and developmental delays. So that job. Um, I was working part-time about 30 hours a week in construction. Between the two of us, we were raking it in at about $464 a week, man. We were knocking it out of the park. And she was hurting. And I said, we don't have insurance. We can't go to the hospital. We can't go to the doctor. 
We were trying. It got to the point where finally on Monday, it lasted all weekend, finally Monday, she was hurting. And it was getting worse and there was no relief. Tylenol wasn't knocking anything out. And, and, and it, it, it was bad. So I called the insurance company. I said, look, here's the deal. We sent this application in like two months ago. Where it's like, oh, actually, you got approved on Friday. The day the pain started happening. And I said, okay, what do I need to do? They said, just go to the hospital, do what you got to do, and they can, they can bill us later. I said, okay. So I called Christy. I said, all right, get up out of bed. I'm coming to pick you up. I left work. We took her to the hospital. Take her to the hospital and we go to the ER. And in the ER, they start looking. They figure out what's going on. They took some x-rays and some images. And, and, and her, her, that little straw that goes from your kidney down to your, to your bladder, um, where, where the urine goes, what, what was happening was it was something was blocking it and something had, had, had kind of snapped it up. So that tube was starting to balloon out because her kidney was still functioning and it was trying to force liquid into a place that liquid was not flowing through. So it was starting to balloon out. And the doctors came in. They drew these pictures on the board. And they drew all these things on the board. And they said, you know what? This is where it is. And this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to transport you to another hospital. Um, this was, at this point, it was like 1230 in the morning. Um, we're going to transport you to another hospital by ambulance. You're going to have to have surgery on this kidney because this kidney is going to end up dying if we, don't, if we don't do something about this. So I'm calling her parents in South Carolina. Like We were living in Raleigh at the time. I said, hey, you got to get up here because I'm panicking. We've only been married two months. You know, I'm too young to be a widower. All of these things were going on and, and, and we're trying to figure all this out. And the next morning, the doctors come into the hospital room there at Wake Med Hospital in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. They come in and they say, we can't explain it, but it's gone. The, the blockage. And, and see, I could tell you that and say, you just believe in God. He's going to take your blockages away. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But he took your heart and gave you a new one and said, you are mine in Christ Jesus. But you got to believe him. You got to trust him. That is how the heart is won. Sometimes he fixes your kidney. Sometimes he fixes your car. Every day he gives you life. And he, in Christ, he gives you a new heart. Your heart's been won. Notice he says here, but beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. We have confidence. This is what the Bible calls living with a pure heart, living with clean hands, Living in accordance with who God has called you to be by the mercies of his son, Christ Jesus, because our confidence, your confidence and my confidence is not in me. It's not in you. It is in God's eternal promise. He says there, he says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God in whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. I do not want you to make a mistake about this verse. This does not say, if you just live well, then God's going to give you everything you ask of. And that's not what it says. It's not what it's saying. This verse is giving us the confidence to step foot before God and ask him as our loving father. And see, here's the deal. No, 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 notice, what he's, notice what he's describing here. He says there, because we keep his commandments and we do things that are pleasing in his sight 
What John is describing here is how the source of our confidence in God's eternal promise says, you know what? It's all about Christ. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. It's not about me. I'm just going to live in response to who he is and what he has done in such a way that when I go and say, Lord, I have this need, I'm praying according to his will, not according to my will. I'm praying according to his desire, not according to my wish list. I'm not rubbing the genie bottle and asking him for all these wishes. What I'm doing is I'm going to him and saying, you're the only God that can do anything about this. So I need you and whatever Lord you decide, I am going to worship you and praise you regardless. Because my hope is not in present deliverance today. My hope is in eternal deliverance for all time. But we still have to do the things that are according to his word. When we see injustice, we call it out because God is a God of justice. When we see brokenness, we, we offer the remedy because God is the redeemer. When we, see, when we see lives that are hurting, we come with comfort and peace and grace. As Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 25, he says, look, there's gonna be a day when all of you are gonna stand before me and I'm gonna tell you, hey, why don't you come on in to my, my, my house, enter your reward because you know what? You... Saw me when I was hungry and you gave me food. You saw me when I was naked and you gave me clothes. You saw me when I was in jail and you visited me. When I was sick, you were there by my side. And you'll say, Jesus, when did I do that? When you've done for the least of these. My brothers, you've done for me. See, you can step with confidence into acts of service and love because you have an eternal God who loves you and serves you by giving his son, Jesus Christ, and he won your heart. Your confidence is in God's promise. Oh man, but, but what about when I'm telling somebody about Jesus and they bring up Muhammad or they bring up Buddha or they say, there is no God. Where, what about that confidence? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a really good question. See, what we have around us in this battleground, in this war that is waging, is this consistent seed of doubt that maybe, just maybe, we're wrong about this faith thing. And, and maybe when that question comes out about Muhammad or Buddha or the Hindu or I don't believe in God, or when those people knock on your door at 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday because they want to tell you about the Kingdom Hall down the road or they want to tell you about John Smith and what he found out that time he looked in that guy's hat and found these golden things and all these things that don't make sense and you're like, what do I do with that? You look to two things, his word in your life. His word that cannot be trounced by human reason because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what his word is doing in your life. The proof that Christ Jesus is, is there because your confidence is not in what you can think, it's in what you know. And what you know is that his promise is sure and true because he is the living God. It says in verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and we love one another just as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he, Christ Jesus, in him, the one who keeps the commandments. We know by this that Christ abides in us 
because of the spirit whom he has given. Tomorrow might be a hard day for you. This week might be a very, very difficult week. I don't know what's on your horizon. I, I don't know what's going to be waiting for you when the mail's delivered tomorrow. I don't know what the boss is going to say. I don't know what the doctor's going to say. But I do know this. You're going to be tempted to throw your hands in the air and say, I'm done. It's too hard. I give up. I can't do this anymore. Can I be real with you for just a second? You'd be right. You can't. You, you can't. I recently heard of a pastor of a large church in another state that after being there for three years, got up one Sunday morning and said, I can't pastor you people anymore, walked out. And he was right. He couldn't. Because mislocated confidence will always place us in a position of relying on ourselves. But notice what John says. The one who keeps the commandments of God abides in Christ and Christ in him. And we know this is true because of what? The spirit he puts within us. The Holy Spirit. Not by my might, not by your power, but by his. Because confidence is the fuel of your perseverance. Confidence is the fuel of my perseverance. Confidence that he is truly God and we are truly his children is what allows us to wake up in the morning and say, I can take a new day, not because of me, but because of Christ who is in me. Notice he says here, this is the command we have that we believe in the name of the Son of God. What if tomorrow morning, what if tomorrow morning you woke up and the very first thing out of your mouth was, today is the day I have in Christ. And Tuesday morning you wake up and say, today is the day I have in Christ. And Wednesday you wake up and say, today is the day that I have in Christ. You're starting every single day with this statement of my strength only comes from him. My perseverance only comes from him. I can keep his command because the spirit of God, because of Christ Jesus in me, my heart has been won and I have confidence that fuels my day. You ever known somebody that was so superstitious? Go meet some athletes. Athletes are some of the most superstitious people in the world. You know, you got, you got guys for the Braves and for other sports, that, uh, you know, football players, whatever. Man, like they're wearing the same socks that they've been wearing since they were playing like t-ball or something because they were on a championship team that year. And, and you got to wear them inside out or backwards or, you, I mean, all these, you can't wash, you can't wash them. They're all these things, superstition, man. It was once said of Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, that, um, that he had to have a particular, a particular drink every morning that he was on the set of the Seinfeld show or else he would not be able to fulfill his responsibilities. His duties, the show would go well, the taping would go, the production would go well if he had whatever this specific drink was. Which was kind of funny for a guy who believed that the world just ends and nothing matters at the end of the day anyway, Right? See, every day, every day we place our faith in something. 
See, the world would have you think that in order to get through the day, you've got to think about your wife, you've got to think about your kids, you've got to think about your grandkids, you've got to think about what, whatever, some external. And it's not that any things are bad. I do want to survive this life for my kids. I want to see them grow up. I don't want my kids to grow up without a daddy. But my confidence in life does not come from my relationship with them or my relationship with my wife or my relationship with you, the church. My confidence for life. I can stand up here before you and talk, uh, we're going on right up 29 minutes now, if you've been timing, 29 minutes on four verses of scripture, not because I'm just a loud mouth that has a lot to say, but because the word of God is that important and my confidence is in what he has done for me and what I know he will do for you. Sometimes it's hard to be a pastor. You guys don't make it hard, most of you. Yeah, they're not here today. It's okay. Yeah, not, not you guys. <laughs> but sometimes it's hard. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Wife and kids, yes. I, I, I would trade it for my wife and kids, but nothing else. There, there's no other job, no other calling that I, mean, I, would, I would rather do than, than, than be the pastor of you guys. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that I don't come to the office sometimes and think, okay, I've got to deal with this with staff. I've got to make sure this call is made. And if we don't have this, and, and it doesn't mean that there's not word, there's not trouble, everything. But what gives me confidence as a pastor is not that, you know, hey, if I do this for two weeks, they're going to pay me. We get paid every two weeks. It's that I know what God's doing in your lives. I've heard your stories of spiritual growth. I've watched you in the two and a half years that I've been here exhibit spiritual growth. I've seen this church stretch and do things that most of you might have thought two, three, four years ago, well, we'll never be able to do that. We can't do that. That's, that's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And we've seen God do some amazing things because our confidence in him and his promise is what keeps us going to the next day. That's why I love being here. Because I look at the city of Fairburn. I look at South Fulton. I look at, I look at the, na- the, the, the neighborhoods and, and the community around us. I think, you know what? God's getting ready to grab this place and do something awesome because he is a God who saves. And if he won my heart and if he won your heart, he can win someone else's heart. And he will when we get out and we share the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. And maybe you're here this morning because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here this morning because someone says, hey, we're having a special invite your friends day to church Sunday. I need you to come to church with me. I want you to know that I'm glad you're here because I want you to hear of this God. Because he loves you. He gave his son for you. And you can have confidence for the future in him.